Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week, we are discussing the mining industry and, in particular, new technology and skills. With me to explore that is Kevin Sabin, Group Managing Director at TSA Limited and Vice President of ABMEC, the Association of British Mining Equipment Companies. Kevin Sabin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Kevin, and thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm pleased to be sat here talking to you about the mining industry and its quite buoyant status in at the moment. Which is fantastic. And of course, to some people outside of mining, the impression they may have is that it's an industry in decline based on old technology and producing a product, coal, that's no longer needed. And that statement's wrong in almost every respect. So let's try putting the record straight. Can you describe for us the, the current state of the mining industry in the UK? Uh, yes, thank you very much. So, so I think, first of all, to touch on coal, coal was the backbone of the mining industry for, for many years. And in the UK, we were the most mechanised, safest mining industry around the world. And I think all of those skills and capabilities, the lessons we've learned have been taken elsewhere globally and have benefited many of the current um, mining countries such as Australia and are doing so in India and other countries such as Turkey and China, etc. All have moved on since. And there were many, many mines in the UK at the time. And of course, there is, there is still one remaining. Um, that's Aberpergam Mine, which is a coal mine in South Wales, predominantly producing niche market coal for filtration, uh, and things like that, but they are continuing to operate an underground coal mine with a mine expectancy of at least 25 years and licensing to produce up to 2 million tonnes per annum from a quite mechanised operation, which is a continuous miner section, completely roof bolted underground, so a very successful mine. The other coal mine of interest, I guess, is West Cumbria, uh, and West Cumbria is in the planning stages, currently undergoing planning contention. And I think that the, the result of that will be published in January. And that mine plans to produce steel coal, uh, metalliferous coal, which will be required in much of the steel manufacturing that's taking place in the UK and elsewhere around the world. And there is currently no alternative to that. So we will need to mine or import metallurgical coal going forward. And of course, the need for steel is continually increasing as the building industry grows and as countries seek to build, construct their way out of the pandemic, there's a huge need for, for steel and therefore for metallurgical coal. Outside of that, mining is very much flourishing in many other areas. So we do in the UK mine lots of other strategically important minerals. One in particular that is very much coming to the fore at the moment and involves technology and the application of some of the more modern mining concepts is the mining of polyhalite. Polyhalite is a nutrition-rich fertiliser. It's an evaporite mineral, a hydrated sulphate of potassium, calcium and magnesium. And it's going to be very much a sought-after sustainable fertiliser of the future. There are currently two mines looking at that. Um, one is an established mine, Bowlby Mine, near Saltburn on the northeast coast in Yorkshire. 
and they have successfully mined polyhalite for at least 12 months now and have transitioned solely to mining polyhalite. That same body of ore is currently being planned by Anglo-American. Uh, and Anglo-American are looking to mine the same polyhalite at a depth of 1,500 metres below the surface. What makes that quite challenging is that they, on the Anglo project, are now looking to uh, sink some four shafts to the depth of 1,500 metres, and they're operating in the National Park on the North Yorkshire Moors. So they have their own challenges outside of the conventional mining challenges and how to mechanise mining 1,500 metres below the earth and mining out under the sea. They're having to contend with all of the constraints of a national park, but are doing so very successfully as they plan and, and develop the mine. Um, moving on to other minerals, then there is a mine down in the west operated by Tungsten West. Uh, the mine is Hemmerden Mine. Uh, they've recently secured funding to be able to mine two significant world-class reserves of tungsten and tin. They've now put together a plan, an 18-year life of mine plan, which is fully funded. That's an open-cast mine, as opposed to the Bowlby mine, which is underground, and the Woodsmith mine, which Anglo are planning, uh, both, both being underground. So open cast mining is, um, is very much established and proven elsewhere around the UK and the world, in fact, as well as underground mining. There are other minerals. Cornish lithium is very much coming to the fore now, um, which is mining a low carbon lithium deposit and also other battery metals. Of course, the revolution towards electric vehicles around the world and the commitment made by the UK government um, to migrate onto electric vehicles is very much dependent on battery technology. And battery technology, of course, is dependent on the types of metals and minerals that we're able to mine. So mining is very much at the forefront of environmental sustainability in terms of the minerals that we are, we are producing. There are other established operations such as British Gypsum, British Gypsum currently operate five underground mines in the UK, all mining gypsum um, owned by Sangaban. Sangaban produce around 3 million tonnes per annum of gypsum, half of which comes from the um, UK gypsum mines. Uh, the majority of the rest is imported. So what they're doing, they're currently ramping up their mechanisation to enable higher development and production rates at their five mines. There's also a gold mine in Scotland, Scott Gold. So just, just a quick kind of run around the, the UK and you'll see that you know mining is still prevalent. It's not all around coal mining, as I think the perhaps the public perception is that it's long since died off. It is actually very buoyant uh, and increasingly so uh, as we look to develop these new minerals. Fantastic. Listen, there are so many things in that answer. I want to pick out a few of them over the next few minutes. I certainly understood the, the point about coal, but just to go back to coal for a moment, you talked about metallurgical coal, uh, and obviously a lot of countries are moving away from thermal coal, from power generation. Uh, but the point you were making was that metallurgical coal is still going to be needed for the production of, of steel. Is that 
a medium-term requirement? Is that a long-term requirement, the need for metallurgical coal? How does that fit in with net zero and and all the sort of uh, low-carbon economy that we're trying to get to? I think very much for the foreseeable future, it's a part of steel manufacturing that, that there is no alternative to or no viable, no commercially viable alternative. That's not to say that over years to come, we won't develop other solutions and there are other, other processes being considered and, and explored at the moment. But to be able to produce the volumes of steel that we require at the moment and that the world will require to construct its way out of this pandemic, there's no doubt that metallurgical coal will play a huge part and needs to play a part in that. And there are other technology um, events happening at the moment and, and, and experiments looking at carbon sequestration. So there are ways to deal with the carbon emissions, although it's far less than the thermal coal issue, but it can be dealt with in different ways. One of the other things that you talked about was mechanisation and new technology. And again, I'm trying to move away from the perhaps the image that people have of mining as being something that's based on old technology. And I'd be quite interested to, to hear a little bit more about some of the new technology developments, some of the mechanisations in some of these new projects that you've been talking about. Yes, yeah, so, so very much the, uh, the underground um, production at most of these operations is looking at continuous miners. Continuous miners um, operate a room and pillar system of mining. And, and therefore what they do, they kind of work out a chessboard, if you like, of underground where you leave certain pillars in to support the ground above and you extract pillars, rooms around them. That's far less susceptible to subsidence. And again, I think a lot of people associate the old mining long wall techniques, which were taking huge pieces of coal out, some kind of 200 metres, 300 metres by 2,000 metres, taking out a huge piece like that often led to subsidence uh, and meant that there were only certain areas you could mine where you could enable that subsidence. However, in this kind of mining, it's far less susceptible to subsidence um, and the geotechnical um, developments that have been undertaken of late enable some very accurate mapping to take place such that you know the parameters that you can extract and the size of the pillars you need to leave in and the pressures. All of the modern techniques and programs that we use now enable some very accurate geotechnical calculations to be undertaken that that make that mining very successful. Constantly, the manufacturers are looking to enhance and improve the size of the machines for continuous miner operations. And some of these products that we mine, some of these minerals that we're mining are very hard and very difficult to cut, polyhalite, for instance, being one of them. So the manufacturers are constantly upgrading their machines. And of course, more and more of their equipment is manless, automatic control, moving on from radio control and ultimately mines such as Anglo's Woodsmith mine will look to have a fully automated mine in the future. And the digital mine is a concept that everybody is moving towards in terms of now having data transmission systems underground, fibre optics underground, automation and control processes that require manual intervention far less than historical traditional type mines. So you've mentioned effectively a number of industries that are supporting 
the mining industry, some of them quite high technology industries. Are there opportunities here for other areas of UK business? Is it UK companies that are supplying some of these technologies to the British mines? Very much so. I think the challenge is for any technology to adapt it for use underground in mining, of course, are the ideal conditions that underground mining presents in terms of the environment, in, in terms of kind of operating at, at distances and depths that, that we do, you know, 1,500 metres below ground is, is a huge task to operate any technology. However, there are, you know, there are constraints to some of the applications in that it needs to be approved for use underground. The technology needs to be sufficiently robust to be able to operate in the heavy industrial applications underground. Uh, and for those people wanting to adapt their technologies, and quite a number do as we move towards the digital mine, then there are certainly opportunities. And collaboration is something that we very much promote. And, and you mentioned earlier that I am the vice president of ABMEC. ABMEC has some 44 companies, organisations now in terms of supply chain membership. We have equipment providers, service providers, solution providers, and we are constantly looking for bringing more people into the fold, more organisations who want to be part of this mining revolution and who seek to adopt uh, this, their, their technologies for the benefit of mines. So let me take you away from technology for a moment and actually ask you about skills. Does the mining industry have enough people with the right skills? And, and if it doesn't, what, what's needed? Yeah, so I, I think over the years gone by, you know, the, the industry was self-sustaining in the, the you know, UK coal because of the number of mines it had would set on 30, 40, 50 apprentices each and every year. And I think apprenticeships in most organisations have dropped off, but certainly in mining, it becomes more difficult to run these apprenticeship programmes when you've got smaller mines, fewer mines, um, spread amongst different companies, manufacturers, it requires an element of collaboration with all of the mine operators and all of the mining supply chain, such as ABMEC, to pull together the need and the programmes, the training courses, the universities. Camborne School of Mines stopped one of their courses that have been running for many years. And Camborne School of Mines students are extremely well thought of. They're placed around the world running all of the major, well, lots of the major mining organisations so it's a huge knock when we fail to be able to continue those kind of courses. They've always been at the forefront of mining innovation. And so it's a challenge. There are people around. There, there's an age issue, certainly in terms of the old UK coal mining fraternity. And so we need younger people in, people who are interested in today's modern technology in mining. Um, but the only way that we can do that is through collaboration, is through everyone working together in the supply chain um, to ensure that there's a demand for the kind of courses we need from Camborne School of Mines, to ensure that there's a joined up approach. And there is through organisations like MOC, the Mining Association of the UK, uh, and they pull together the expectations of the industry and the mine operators and they try to facilitate everyone coming together under one organisation to be able to pool resources uh, and, and to align under one kind of standard. 
and that's very much supported and facilitated by the HSE. HSE Mining Division have a, have a huge vested interest in developing people, uh, in developing skills and competencies. Um, and of course, the mining regulations 2014 are very much built around competence. And competence is something that is much more than a qualification, a certificate, having undertaken a course, as you used to do with the mines qualification boards. It's now a mix of skills, capability, behaviours applicable in the actual working environment. So it can be developed. We've done a lot of work with organisations, training providers to establish training courses and routes to competence. Um, so there are ways now to use the current mining experience, knowledge, capability we have to um, invest that into the, you know, the, the youth of the future. And in that whole system, what's the role of higher education, further education? I know you mentioned the Camborne School of Mines, but more generally, what's the role in sort of tertiary education to help with the throughput of, of new people and the skills that you need? Yeah, I think, I think science and technology and mathematics in schools um, is, is a good grounding for, for people coming into this kind of environment, this kind of industry. And, and through collaboration, we all in the mining industry encourage the adoption of these kind of courses and people to commit to this basic education that aligns people in preparation for mining jobs. So you, you can never get away from that. I think the, the, the culture of today is that young people want to be involved in computers, robotics, artificial intelligence, and without doubt, this is the future of the mining industry. So it, it is a vibrant industry with a very, I think, a very rewarding future on offer to lots of people, and the technology that's in use will excite people. So as well as new mining there's actually a legacy issue associated with mining which is of course what to do with old mines and old mine shafts once those mines are no longer active and i believe that there is some technology that allows old mine shafts to store power that can be released back into the grid is that right how does that how does that work yes yeah, so at the moment we're working with a company called gravitricity Gravitricity have developed an innovation for generating electricity by lowering huge weights down a mine shaft. And basically what they do is they lower them down at the time of peak demand when the grid is under huge pressure and often working close to 100%. They will then step in and lower that weight down. It's hugely geared so that a very, very slow movement generates very high voltages and so it contributes to the grid in times of peak demand and then they will wind the weight back up when there is plenty of electricity on the grid and less less demand so it's quite a niche technology they've done a pilot project they've done huge development over the last three years they've sourced funding and they're now looking at where are the the best shafts to be able to use this technology both at closed mines and, and uh, to potentially in the future, sinking new shafts. And, and then, of course, there are obviously the legacy um, organisation of the Coal Authority 
who don't only spend a lot of money in terms of looking after the legacy assets of mining from years gone by. They are actually now innovating and looking at how we can do uh, make use of the ground source heat, for instance, from old mine shafts. They're developing water treatment facilities. That They invest a lot of money now in terms of how we can utilise those assets of yesterday for sustainable future. Really interesting and a whole lot of things that weren't obvious to me as, a, as an outsider of the industry. I just want to finish by asking you a little bit about government and what you think of the role is of government in all of this uh, new technology and new developments in the mining industry. What, what can government do to basically ensure a, a vibrant mining industry going forward? I think, first of all, government need to understand where we're at in terms of the current mining industry. And I'm not sure that anyone has a kind of a collective view, an overall picture of where the country is at the moment in that it is so vibrant. I think the government can help us to recognise what we've established in the UK over many, many years in that we've always been the safe, one of the safest mining industries in the world one of the most mechanised and always the most innovative. Uh, and that seems to have been kind of overlooked more of late as the coal industry has declined. But in fact, it's been resurrected in many of the other organisations and companies and mining operations that we've discussed. And I think that government could recognise that and actively seek to become involved in wider collaborations, funding, for instance, for training and education, um, funding for universities, more closely collaborating with organisations like ABMEC and the operators as to how we can collaborate together for the benefit of the industry. And of course, that represents many opportunities for exporting our skills, knowledge, capability and experience. And there are mining organisations around the world too we're working with at the moment, for instance, in, in Poland. And whilst mining is diminishing in Poland, there is certainly opportunity for underground modernization and mechanization as there is in India. So whilst it's not a long-term prospect uh, in terms of coal mining, I think the transfer of knowledge, skills, capability in global mining is something that government ought to be involved in and want to drive. No, really interesting. We'll have to see how the government takes some of those things forward over the coming years. That's all we've got time for today. But Kevin Saban, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed that. Thank you for inviting me on. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Kevin Sabin, Group Managing Director at TSA Limited and Vice President of ABMEC, the Association of British Mining Equipment Companies. You can find information about all the activities of the Foundation for Science and Technology, all our events, all our blogs, and all previous editions of this podcast on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. The podcast is taking a break over Christmas and New Year and we'll be back in 2022. Until then, goodbye.